Hello, good morning, and welcome to Line One, your health connection. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Clark. Um, I do have to apologize to the listeners. I am fighting off the remnants here of a, a very serious man cold, but um, I have survived, and I am here for the show today. Chronic pain is a disorder that does not just affect adults. Pediatric chronic pain often presents as headaches, abdominal pain, and general musculoskeletal pain. Because chronic pain in children is a unique combination of biological, psychological, and social factors in each child, the source of chronic pain can be complex. What is the incidence of chronic pain in the pediatric patients? What are the signs and symptoms? What is the first step if your child is suffering from these symptoms? To help us answer these and more questions, I am pleased to have a guest today, pediatric pain psychologist, Dr. Wendy Galtney. Please give us a call toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, In Anchorage, 550-8433. 5508433 or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. <clears throat> Dr. Galtney, it's really a pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, welcome to line one. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this conversation. Well, um, I know that you are an Anchorage practitioner, but today you are actually calling us all the way from Montreal, Canada. So thank you for calling in today um, at a uh, pain conference, I understand it. Yeah, yeah, the Canadian Pain Society. So learning here and hopefully um, we'll learn a little bit here together today too. So, Absolutely. So I want to give the listeners a sense of, of who you are um, maybe talk a little bit about what got you interested in this and, and a little bit about your training and background. Yeah, so I um, really started, I think, my, my research journey all the way back in undergrad. I, there was a research lab. Um, at, I went to UMBC, which is in, in Maryland, and um, was really interested in actually the other part of the research lab, which was just pediatric chronic illness and how do how does it affect kids who get ill when they're young. Um, but we also did some pain research, and um, I think at the time I thought it was just too complicated and and honestly too medical for me. I was like, well, I want to know how kids, you know, live um, with chronic illnesses. But as I got further on in my training and I went to grad school and I realized that pain is just something that everyone experiences. It's such a universal experience. Um, and then was really curious about why does pain become chronic and who gets it? Um, at the same time, I realized I had had chronic pains at different times in my life and had never been told that. And that was also sort of a curious, interesting thing to realize I had sort of come through something without ever having gotten a diagnosis. So that's a little bit of um, my journey. And I guess at the tail end of it, I've done uh, postdoctoral research and um, clinical training working with kids with chronic pain. So that's how I, I got up to Alaska. Is, um, I was sort of like there's no pediatric pain psychologist in the whole state, and it, I'm just crazy enough to try to do it. So here we are. 
Well, great. It's great to have you here. You know, in the state, we do have limited resources. So, um, you know, having subspecialists is a real treat um, for for our listeners, for the care of our patients here in Alaska. So let's get let's get into it a little bit. Um, you know, I've done shows here on chronic pain. We've done shows on drug abuse, on opioid use, um, how it is a huge problem. Just this morning, on NPR was also this. You know, the Alaska uh, uptick in fentanyl use uh, as drug abuse, <clears throat> and all of this does play into chronic pain. But let's let's start off our definitions here. Um, you know, what's the difference between acute pain and chronic pain? When does pain become chronic? Yeah, so definitionally, it's actually the only amount of time. So acute pain lasts less than three months, and chronic pain lasts longer than three months. And obviously, this is a distinction that has, like, basis and knowledge that our tissues heal from injury within about six weeks. So if pain is continuing beyond that or if, or if there was no injury at all, um, and that's kind of where it's a little bit tricky because there are times where pain will appear without any kind of an acute injury. Um, but technically, it, it needs to last three months before it's defined as chronic pain. Okay. And, you know, what, what are some of the factors that kind of lead into a pain, you know, an injury per se, or, you know, let's say we can d- define what caused the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what are the factors that kind of lend to chronic pain or a transfer from acute to chronic? So the best that we understand it is that basically all pain um, is a nervous system process that happens. So I think, you know, hundreds of years ago, we sort of thought that pain was just, it was just an injury and the nerves traveled up um, to our brain and it was already pain by the time it got there. But what we now know is that it's this very bi-directional process so that um, before we even ever have an injury, our brains are kind of primed. They're kind of ready for detecting potential threats. And so um, anytime that pain persists when there's not um, a specific injury, we know that the nervous system itself is sort of overprotective, it's oversensitive, and that's really what, you know, beyond that definition of just three months, chronic pain, there's this piece to the nervous system and, um, and really the brain is producing pain kind of in times when there is no threat to the body. Okay. And, you know, so, so what you're saying is it's not, I mean, it's a physio- physiologic response to mm-hmm. pain. You know, this isn't something that, um, you know, obviously we're going to talk about psychology here and in managing the pain psychologically, but <clears throat> there is a physiologic component to this. This isn't something that people are just making up. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because all pain is produced in the brain. If you, you know, stub your toe, that pain is actually produced in the brain. But, um, and the same thing with chronic pain. And we've really, I think through the years, we've kind of gotten that pretty message pretty confused with, oh, this is real pain, this is not real pain. And what we really mean to say is there's tissue damage here or, or potential tissue damage, or there is not tissue damage, but there's still pain. And um, so, yeah, 
pain is not just a tissue issue. It's really a nervous system issue. Okay. Now, um, I think that's a good kind of overview, but the the chronic pain syndrome, um, adults versus children, is is there a difference? Um, you know, what is, I guess, if we, if, if we haven't described it fully yet, what is the chronic pain syndrome in adults and maybe also in children? Yeah, so um, this is another area, obviously, ongoing research all over the world. Um, we know that a, a very large number of people are, experience chronic pain. And um, for kids, we know that, you know, there, there are estimates anywhere from 11% to 38%. Um, and, and really kind of most people, the figure that they'll say is that one in four kids, so zero to 18, will have pain that lasts for more than three months, so kind of qualifying as chronic pain. So one in four kids will have some kind of a chronic pain condition. Um, and for adults, I think also the estimates vary quite a bit, <laughs> um, and we know that chronic low back pain is extremely common, um, but but people don't really report all of their pain. So most most people will say that our estimates are probably low because, you know, you'll ask somebody and they'll say, oh, I've had headaches for most of my adult life, but they don't necessarily tell their physician. They don't necessarily um, kind of say I'm a chronic pain patient. So very high numbers for adults that I don't think we quite capture, <laughs> but for mm -hmm. kids, about one in four. Okay, so about one in four is the incidence of, of chronic pain in children. I, I read that it um, can be more common in girls than boys. Is, is, that a, is that your experience? There's a really, that's a really good question, too. I actually was just in a talk here at this conference that really fibromyalgia um, is about three times more common in women. Um, and it's not a very common diagnosis in kids, obviously, but um, we do find that, like, for example, our clinic has seen more girls than boys, but I don't know that we necessarily know much beyond that's who's making it to our clinics at times. Um, so, and, and I think that there wouldn't be many people that would say for sure that we know exactly how sex or gender really um, relates to chronic pain at this point, but there is um, definitely a little bit more girls that are being diagnosed at any given time. Okay. I want to give our listeners uh, the call numbers again. If you have questions for our guest today, statewide, 1-888-353-5752, Anchorage, 550-8433, or email me, line1 at alaskapublic.org. So, Dr. Galtney, um, <clears throat> reasons for developing chronic pain are going to be different between the adult population and the pediatric population. I'm sure there's some similarities, but maybe you can, can outline for us some of the common reasons why an adult would get chronic pain and then maybe in the pediatric population. Yeah, the, um, you're absolutely right that, you know, sometimes we, we sort of think when we think of chronic pain that it's sort of this process of the body sort of aging and, and different things making it so that the that chronic pain is more common. 
And truthfully, kids have pain um, often. If you think about kids, or even as infants, we give them immunizations. Um, they they're always falling, scraping their knees. They um, so you know there are many many pain experiences in early early childhood, um, and those are typical and we don't we don't generally see kids developing chronic pain from from kind of a, a, a scraped knee but we do know that with surgical populations and kids with chronic um, health conditions and injuries so um, kind of have a higher rate of developing chronic pains and um, there's I think we're not always sure about the exact mechanisms of how it transitions. So I just want to make it clear that we know that there's a connection, a um, association, but not necessarily sure exactly what what causes it. Um, but so there are higher rates in in those populations. We also know that there's an intergenerational component. So hmm. kids with a parent or even two parents with chronic pain are at higher risk of developing chronic pain. And these are, these are things that we know that kind of cumulative exposures to things like stress and trauma also are related to developing chronic pain. Um, but there's just no great way to pinpoint. And this is why we're not great at predicting or preventing at this point is because we can't look at a child and say, we know you're going to develop chronic pain. And that is... Um, that's a tricky sticking point, I think, that we would love to eventually get to, right? <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> that's a very interesting concept is this multi-generational or intergenerational aspect. So that raises a couple different questions in my mind, and some of these may be controversial or or difficult. But one is, is could there be a genetic predisp- predisposition towards chronic pain or – Maybe more um, controversial is, you know, is there any component of this that's a learned behavior? Yeah. Um, I think we, it's really important to realize that all, all of how we experience pain is very much a social thing. So when, when babies cry out because they're in pain, it's to get attention and to get help. And so, you, you know, we are biologically primed to do these things. That's crying is not a learned behavior. Um, but definitely there's an interaction between humans around pain. So, for example, there's some really cool research that shows um, that our brains, when scanned, when someone else is experiencing pain, we actually, our brains light up kind of like we're in pain ourselves. So that's pretty fascinating to think that we sort of experience that from each other. And then um, I think the intergenerational research really shows that, um, you know, parents have a really difficult time with their children being in pain. And a lot of that is physiological. And so, yes, I think how we interact with others around pain um, is important. I, I don't know that we can confidently say that, you know, it causes chronic pain by any means. Sure. But, um, yeah, and we'll probably get a little bit into how 
how parenting, <laughs> maybe a little bit later about how mm -hmm. that plays in. But that was a great question, yeah. Great. Well, we have a couple calls coming in. Uh, we'll try to deal with one or two of these and then take our first break. But we have uh, Taryn calling from Fairbanks. Taryn, welcome to Line 1. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having such a great radio show. Oh, you're welcome. What can we answer for you today? So it might be a slightly different topic, but I feel like it's connected. My 8-year-old will sometimes go in bouts of chronic motion sickness. And when, like, for example, we'll be driving and I'll see her face go, like, completely pale. She just gets that look on her face like she's horribly pained. She'll have a stomach ache, sometimes even have a headache, and then all of a sudden be, like, puking in my car. There's very little warning to it, and it's obviously been quite a disaster multiple times to the point where now I can recognize that tell and quick, like, pull over, get her out of the car. But it's super weird because sometimes she'll even seem to have almost like a vasal vagal um, response to it where I'll have to like hold her up. You know, she like loses her, her strength and everything. And it's the weirdest situation because she's an extremely healthy, extremely athletic kid. We've gone to a million different doctor appointments about it. Um, and it literally just comes and goes on her own body's accord. And it's the strangest thing. And, um, you know, we've never really gotten answers. So I'm just curious, like, have you guys ever dealt with chronic motion sickness similar to the way that you study and deal with chronic pain in kids? Great question, Taryn. How old is your daughter? She's eight now, but this started, like, when she was about five years old. Okay. Thank you. Well, Dr. Galtney, any, any, um, any insight into this? That's a really interesting question. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, and that sounds really stressful and as a parent and, and frustrating for her. Um, I, as a pain specialist, I, I really can't speak to most of that. I, I think the only things that are really coming to mind for me are that I, um, from kind of the nervous system perspective is that our, well, the most nerves in our bodies sort of are actually located around our gut. So there's, you've maybe even heard of something called like the gut-brain connection. Um, and so absolutely that we know that the gut and, and the brain are connected and communicate in ways. And so it, it is always very likely that environmental information can be felt in our gut. So um, I think that that's a tricky question. I do wish that um, I, I could kind of put my finger exactly on what, what's going on with her, but it does sound really frustrating and, um, and stressful for you. Okay. Th thank you. Sorry we couldn't offer more information there, Taryn. Um, I do have a couple more calls. Uh, Kristen and Jean, I do see you on there. We're going to take a quick break. However, um, you are listening to Line 1, your health connection. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, call us statewide. 1-888-353-5752. In Anchorage, 550-8433. After the short break, we will continue our discussion on pediatric chronic pain with pediatric pain psychologist, Dr. Wendy Galtney. You're listening to Line 1 from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line 1 on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. 
people who smoke or have smoking-related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Clark. I'm joined by pediatric pain psychologist, Dr. Wendy Galtney. Do you have questions about how chronic pain presents and is diagnosed? Call us toll-free statewide, 1-888-353-5752. In Anchorage, 550-8433. Or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Dr. Galtney, we're going to get into a little bit more of your, your specialty and, you know, the, the workup and presenting symptoms, but I want to get through just a few more calls here. Um, Kristen is calling from Anchor Point. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Oh, maybe we lost her. Okay, well, um, we'll have her call back in here. Why don't we go to line five, guys? <clears throat> Jean uh, from Homer. Jean, are you there? Oh, hi. It's Jane, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Jane. That's, so, that's okay. Um, so I have been learning about the roles that hormones play in our bodies, and it's far beyond just sex hormones, and it relates to, like, our digestion and everything, um, and even pain to a certain extent. I mean, so I know you've talked a little bit about hereditary um, possibilities with um with um, chronic pain. Do you think that some of that might be about hormones? That's a great question, you know, and, and certainly could play into the difference in sexes as well. Dr. Galtney, any, any, any uh, research being um, undergone about a hormone related to chronic pain? Yeah, it's a great question, Jane. Um, and, and when you say hormone, it sounds like you're talking about a certain group of sex hormones, um, and I would say that the most research in chronic pain is actually around stress hormones, um, and so like cortisol is a really large one, and I actually do research in this myself, um, and we have seen that cortisol is um, affected in people with chronic pain, and one of the things is that we know that having pain is stressful. So kind of having pain predisposes our bodies to actually be creating more of these hormones to help us deal with stress. And in turn, we also know that stress itself is a really big part of um, pain perception. So pain being more intense, more severe. And um, so we know that stress hormones are especially related. And other hormones, I think, are, are certainly studied, um, but maybe a little bit less less um, noted to be as important as stress hormones. 
Excellent. So not to say that there's not an association, it's just that we don't we don't know at this point. And, and I think this yeah. is a huge emerging uh, research area for science. Uh, imagine, you know, these, these are th- the things you're going to conferences for, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's, let's um, it looks like we have a, let's go to line nine, guys. <clears throat> we have a call here, uh, Dan, calling all the way from Kodiak. Welcome to the show, Dan. Oh, hello. Hi. Um, I don't know if I have a question more than relating my own experience. I have two uh, daughters that went through chronic pain through um, late adolescence, early adulthood, and now to uh, not quite middle-aged, but um, it's been like a 20-year struggle. And I've been to pain clinics with them all over the country, which were most of the time totally useless. And... I, there is a pain clinic in Utah that studies chronic pain and chronic fatigue. Bateman Clinic has been somewhat helpful, but there really hasn't been much progress. Um, the opioid um, crisis and the resulting restrictions on using opioids was a big problem for people with chronic pains. Even though opioids aren't, you know, the solution to anything, they still provide a little bit of stability in their lives. And uh, I find that most doctors, um, you know, don't, don't know how to treat chronic pain. They're just, uh, you know, well, more women get it than men. It must be all in the head. Um, they don't say that anymore. There's this a thing called fibromyalgia. But the state doesn't really recognize fibromyalgia as being, um, like, is recognized as having, uh, you know, another chronic condition. So that's what I want to say, and I hope that um, you can do something for the people of Alaska and realize that chronic pain is devastating and it doesn't just last a few months or a few years. It's for some people, it's a life sentence. And Dan, that's a, that's a great, um, relation there, a story. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, Dr. Galtney, I, I'll open it up to you for any, any comments. I mean, it's a, it's a broad topic. There's a lot of policy implications there, but, uh, please, um, anything you can offer Dan would be excellent. Yeah. Dan, thank you for calling and, and yeah, sharing about how it's really touched your life. And, um, and you know, I am really sorry to hear your, your experience is similar to a lot of people that have pain that, you know, it's just lots of tests, lots of questions, and it doesn't feel like a lot of solutions. And um, it is really hard to hear that. And one thing I will say is, you know, I think I'm hoping that in Alaska, what we can really work on doing is finding ways to intervene early, because once it is a really, you know, it's been many, many years, our our systems, our nervous systems sort of get into habits, and they, they form habits to try to protect us. And um, and that's why a lot of times I feel like working with kids is a, is a way that hopefully we can kind of intervene as early as possible before that those processes sort of just become so, so hard to change. And I'm really sorry that that's been going on for you. Well, we're glad to have you in Alaska, Dr. Galtney, as, as a resource. Um, we have Kristen again um, calling in. Hopefully we got you back. Kristen from Anchor Point, welcome to Line One. Thank you very much. Um, I've been wondering, because I suffer from chronic pain, which I got from an auto accident back in the 90s. And as I grow older, the pain itself is, of course, becoming more acute because of arthritis and other 
conditions with aging. Um, but I'm having a hard time with my doctor in trying to get onto a pain management course uh, because, frankly, I think a lot of doctors are afraid that people are fishing for drugs. I think they're, they think that people just want, you know, opioids or something, and they're really afraid to um, uh, prescript, prescribe them, especially now that we're having this opioid problem in the country. Uh, how can you go about having a conversation with your doctor where they pay attention? Because the ibuprofen doesn't work. I've been taking ibuprofen. I've been taking, uh, I take it for a few days. Then I take naproxen for a few days, which actually does work a lot better for me. But this is, these are things that they tell you you shouldn't be taking a great deal of over a long period of time. And it's just, it's just frustrating that I can't seem to get my doctor uh, to really focus on this. So, um, you know, how can I get this conversation going further than, oh, just keep taking the naproxen or just keep taking the ibuprofen. And, um, yeah, it's just frustrating. Yeah, I can hear your frustration, Kristen. Um, Dr. Galtney, um, any suggestions for Kristen? Yeah, Kristen, thanks for being persistent and calling back. We're glad you made it back to us. Um, and I I also want to echo that sentiment that your frustration and um, is also, it's very, very common, and it's also something that um, I know is, you think about it, all day in between all these appointments and you show up and you're hoping for a solution and you walk away um, feeling disappointed. One thing I would say is that we are really working um, as a field on being more working as like multidisciplinary teams. So while a physician has so much expertise about medications that can work and, and those pieces, working maybe with your 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 physician or your care provider to come up with like communicating with a broader team that has other expertise. So some people will say, look, I'd like a nutrition consult and I would also like a physical therapy consult. And I want you all to talk about me as a person and how we can come up with a full plan that will help. Um, and that's what we're really finding in the broader pain field is that it's all about having sort of, a very holistic perspective on what pain is like for you specifically and and pieces to the puzzle because um, we very rarely find a medication or an intervention that solves a complex problem and so I, I really I would urge you to see if that is something you can find in your community um, and and thinking kind of from a broader um, perspective. Thank you. Excellent, excellent, uh, Dr. Galtney. I think, you know, I like to echo that multidisciplinary care team. It's a concept that has been emerging over the last decade or more. You know, and even in my field in bariatric surgery, it's not just about surgery. We have um, psychologists, dietitians, sleep specialists, medical doctors. I mean, it really takes, um, you know, because everything's gotten so subspecialized, it does take multiple people with different expertise to treat one problem. And so I would be interested if you could share with the listeners what your multidisciplinary team is at your practice and, and why is that important? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because it's something I'm so passionate about. Um, 
And there are kind of two terms. One is multidisciplinary and one is interdisciplinary. And we actually have an interdisciplinary team at our for, for pediatrics, and that means that um, a physician, Dr. Ben Ekstrom, and I and a physical therapist actually see the patient together in the same moment, and we get an assessment, and then we talk as a team together about the patient, and then we come up with a plan together with the patient. And all of that kind of working together really helps us to be on the same page, like I was mentioning with Kristen. Um, and and the, the other model of it is multidisciplinary, which is a little bit more common, I think, in the adult world. Um, and that is where your team members see you separately, but they, they share files, they talk about your treatment plan. Um, and both of them are great and have their, their spaces, but, um, you know, for pediatrics, as much as kind of communication can happen, we can kind of usually get things moving in the right direction quickly. Okay, so your your team interdisciplinary is, is a pain specialist, a, a doctor, yourself as a psychologist and then a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, we mentioned that uh, in my opening and in, in, in dis our discussions that common presentations for children involve chronic headaches, chronic abdominal pain. You know, I've always, you know, anyone who's had a kid has the, the tummy ache that happens all the time. What, what are some of the presenting symptoms for children with chronic pain, and, and why do they occur? Yeah, so presenting symptoms in children is actually pretty tricky because you would think that a child would always, you know, um, be able to, you know, say, point to. But what we find in assessment is um, a lot of times kids don't really have the words or don't know that what they're feeling is not really, you know, typical. Um, and so a lot of times what we actually are looking at is functional disability. So they're missing school a lot for not feeling well, or I just can't go to school today. They're not participating in activities. They might just, you know, slow down when playing with their friends or sit on the, on the sidelines. Um, they're having difficulty with sleep. They're more irritable. So it's sort of... Presenting symptoms of chronic pain really varies a lot, especially developmentally. So in infancy, maybe it'll look more like irritability, and um, maybe as they get older, it's kind of more of these functional impairments. Even socially, you know, kids might not go out with their friends because they're worried about having stomach pain or headaches. Um, so those are really, I, I want people to think about symptoms a little bit more broadly than just the complaints about pain. Um, of course, other symptoms of chronic pain would be, you know, being able to kind of even um, point to where pain is, describe it in their own words as all those words that you kind of think of when you think of pain as sharp, piercing, those types of things. So um, there's a large range, I, I suppose, of symptoms. Sure. So it sounds like, I mean, that's what I was thinking, you know, pain, headaches, abdominal pain, descriptors of pain. But what you're saying is, especially in younger uh, kids, symptoms may be completely, you know, more like behavioral or, mm -hmm. um, you know, not, you know, so, you know, behavioral issues. So, so that's something to keep an eye out for. Mm-hmm. So, so go a little bit into, um, you know, your role as the psychologist in this interdisciplinary team. 
what are you like what are you looking for from a psychologist's perspective yeah so um a lot of uh, so psychologists what we are sort of trained in is um assessment so making sure that we um can kind of quantify a problem and um, so that's a big piece of my role is kind of developing what questions are we going to ask parents and children to really understand the severity of the situation of the pain and also like what our treatment plan might look like and how we would measure our kids getting better or not. So the assessment piece is a very um, important piece that psychologists can bring, and then. Also, um, so as we, we all kind of know, we all have sort of a different um, knowledge base about how pain works. And so the other piece is that I have a lot of training in clinically being able to kind of see where somebody's at with their understanding and then work on giving information in a way that can be absorbed. So. These are all kind of psychological principles of like, how does this person learn, and um, do we need to use visuals, and do we need to um, kind of practice something over and over again until a skill maybe like, um, like emotion regulation, something like that needs to be used. So there's um, definitely some intervention that I do in terms of um, teaching skills. So we know that pain. It, like I mentioned earlier, our stress systems are really active when we have pain. And so learning to relax the body and also do some kind of um, techniques of not amplifying pain um, and instead really, so things like distraction, we all know that distraction works to some degree. So understanding why, when to use it, um, and those types of things. So I help develop a behavioral treatment plan to kind of help people get back into activities that they are missing, that they enjoy. Um, and so it, it very much is a patient-centered um, process for a psychologist. It's kind of what are they walking in with? Sometimes it's I need a good night's sleep before I even talked about pain. And so then we'll, we'll focus on sleep intervention first. Um, and so it, it varies a bit. Um, and then I think the other role of psychologists is um, definitely that we are kind of there for you with the emotional aspect of having chronic pain. Um, and, um, you know, also a lot of times I think people who call in have probably had the experience of feeling invalidated in their pain. And um, that is something that we know that, again, from brain scans, when you validate that someone's pain is real and that you, you know, you're not shying away from talking about pain with people, it's actually extremely important for, um, for people to feel heard. So that's sure. another piece. No, that's excellent. I think, you know, yeah, common theme, even from our callers today, has been, you know, not being listened to or, um, you know, just just not being heard that this is an important issue for them. And so just having someone to talk to who understands that is, is probably really therapeutic and helpful. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, we're going to take our second break, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, treatment and education and goals. Um, you are listening to Line 1, your health connection. If you have a question or a comment for our guest today, uh, call us statewide, one 353 5752 one 353 5752 or in Anchorage, 550-8433, 550-8433. After this short break, we will continue our discussion on pediatric chronic pain with pediatric pain psychologist, Dr. Wendy Galtney. You're listening to Line 1 from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line 1 on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Clark. I'm joined by pediatric pain psychologist, Dr. Wendy Galtney. Do you have questions about how to treat chronic pain in children? Call us toll-free statewide, 1-888-353-5752. 1-888-353-5752. In Anchorage, 550-8433. 5508433 or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Okay, Dr. Um, Galtney, with our last segment here, let's talk a little bit about um, you know your evaluations with the patients. Are you um, I guess it depends on the age and, and the presence of the parents, but is there a particular test that you're doing, um, like psychological tests or any other tests that you're doing in evaluations? Yeah, so um, we have kind of a, a, a handful of different things that we're assessing. And, again, they kind of go back to that functional piece. Um, so some of the main things we assess for are just the kind of basic pain scale, right, and that's just getting an idea of when pain shows up, how severe is it. Um, and for, you know, young kids, we use just pictures of faces and um, we use kind of what words they put to it, and then as as kids get older, we get to the numerical scale that, scale that everyone's very um, knows all about. Um, and then we also ask questions about how much does pain interfere with things like sports, being around friends, doing your chores, doing your homework, those types of things, because that gives us a lot of information. Um, we ask about intensity, duration, um, frequency, and those types of things also. We also ask about thoughts related to pain because, you know, a lot of times when we have pain, we just feel like it's never going to end, it's never going to get better. Um, and those types of thoughts are definitely associated with pain being chronic. And, and also things like mood. I mean, anytime we feel like pain's never going to go away, it doesn't help with mood. So we, we do ask about mood, 
And we also, I think one of the big pieces that we don't think about a lot are actually things like self-efficacy. So feeling like you have sort of a bit of a plan for, I can get these things done because I, you know, I feel like I can use these couple of things to get me to, let's say, school, for example. And self-efficacy is a um, an area that I think of assessment that we need to be doing more of because we really build on people's strengths rather than really focusing on what's getting what's going wrong um, so we do we do that type of assessment and um, you know there are also obviously physical exam assessments so for sensitization of of the pain system we just look at you know how does it feel when I touch the outside of your foot and does it feel the same on the other side and so these types of evaluations help us to see um, you know if if people are sensitive to touch and that's important for us to know okay and what about like cognitive behavioral therapy you know linking behavior thoughts and feelings is that is that something that you work with yes um, cognitive behavioral therapy as a is absolutely like very important for pain um, because we don't have the experience of pain without having an emotional experience. The definition of pain is that it's a sensory and emotional experience. And so um, by purely focusing on one, we miss a whole half of what pain really means to us. So, um, but I, what I do wanna be clear about is that we can never um, just, you know, some people have probably heard, well, just, you know, mind over matter, get over it, that kind of thing. That is absolutely not what cognitive behavioral therapy is about. <laughs> it's very much about um, learning that our attention and other things really impact how pain is, per is processed. And um, it's more about learning how the pain system works and working within those basic concepts not pretending you don't have it or just distracting yourself every moment of the day. It's a lot more strategic. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you mentioned that you work with a physical therapist as part of your interdisciplinary team. Is that mm -hmm. for, you know, functional restoration, physical rehabilitation? What, what, is, the, uh, what is their role? Yeah, if there's any message I, I would love for listeners and for, for people in Alaska to know um, is that movement for chronic pain is medicine. And that's how we um, actually really change that nervous system over time and get it to be less sensitive. Now, I know a lot of people have done physical therapy and say, oh, that has not worked. And I hear you. I know that that is absolutely true. Um, and one big component of how we treat chronic pain is um, through something called pacing. And that is an important concept and it both sounds very simple and very complex, which is pacing is taking teeny baby steps toward, um, toward movements and teaching the nervous system that these movements are safe again. And and the main question I get for this is, you know, where do I start with that? Because when I'm sitting, I'm actually in pain, right? And so we actually work, the physical therapists and I work closely to help people see that um, pain 
or hurt does not always equal harm. So you might be having pain, and we want to teach the nervous system kind of coaching it that, that we can do these activities safely, and we actually are kind of teaching the nervous system to be less sensitive, and it's called desensitization. Um, and so movement is absolutely critical, the most important piece to chronic pain treatment. Oh, interesting. So physical activity is really um, one of the, the pillars, if not the central pillar, of, of treating chronic pain. <clears throat> it is, yes. Okay. And then in terms of the psychological interventions, uh, which is, is your specialty, of course, what are some of the strategies that you, um, you know, maybe you can give some examples of um, like relaxation strategies that you may do with your patients? Yeah, um, I think a lot of people have probably, you know, heard of the basic, you know, taking a deep breath strategy. And, um, and you know, I think I, I don't like when people come to me and say like, oh, you're just going to teach me how to do deep breathing because... Um, deep breathing is actually kind of a very important skill that we sort of lose. We're actually born as babies, belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, and it directly communicates to our nervous system um, really important information that, you know, like our heart rate and, and all of our nervous system um, kind of communicates information. And so... Belly breathing, when it's practiced over and over and over and kind of becomes automatic, um, it does have, we, it automatically calms our nervous system down. Now, when I say that, I know that sometimes we have a nervous system that's so activated, our stress systems are so activated, that that dose of deep breathing is not everything that we need. <laughs> so we need um, better strategies for managing stress, but it is a core skill, and I try to add on top of that. So if, if your therapist, psychologist is working with you on breathing, it's a piece of the puzzle of regulating our stress responses. Um, it's worth practicing. It's not the only solution, but that is um, one one thing. And then there's certainly um, a lot of there's a lot of kind of um, processing what you're working toward and making goals. That's important too, because one person's goal is not the same as the other. So, you know, I a lot of times will just ask a kid, "What is it that you want to get back to doing?" And they'll say, "Ice skating," or climbing a tree and that's something I haven't done in years. And we have to work together to create baby steps toward those goals. Um, at the same time, we also know that, you know, maybe their goal is not to be doing homework or chores, but we want to teach the nervous system to feel safe in those areas as well. And so um, we, we're really learning how to practice pain strategies in all areas of life. Okay. So, so even reinforcing, um, you know, things that are already going well, strengthening those connections to, you know, prevent mm -hmm. chronic pain from happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, I know we do have a, a caller here. We'll, we'll get to one more comment and then we'll um, go through that. But, well, let's take, um, we'll go ahead and go to line eight, guys. We have uh, Karen calling from Fairbanks. Karen, welcome to line one. Hi guys, it's actually Taryn again that called earlier. Oh, Taryn, sorry. My mom had taught me this. 
That's okay. My mom taught me this really rad trick that we have used with our children and people of all ages, and it plays on what Dr. Wendy was just talking about with the deep breathing. So I wanted to share it. So um, we can use it for like getting people to stop being so restless and like, you know, have their mind go everywhere so that they could fall asleep. But we also use it for pain management and also anxiety management. And because it's for all ages, it's just like such a golden ticket. So we take those obvious, very controlled and focused deep breaths. But on every inhale, you focus on a specific body part. And we usually start at the very tip top and work all the way down. And then if you still need to, then you work from the very bottom all the way up. So we would say literally, like, as you breathe in, you're envisioning every strand of hair, okay? Then you exhale, and you are feeling that hair relax and sink into um, gravity or the bed or the chair, wherever you're at. Then you breathe deeply, and you imagine your scalp skin. And then as you exhale, that completely relaxes. And, um, you know, and if you're dealing with the pain part of it, then you would move on to the forehead, right, or the, the brain. You'd say as you breathe in, you're focusing your attention towards your forehead. You are feeling the pain in your forehead dissipate as you exhale deeply. You, um, you are envisioning your jaw as, you know, like it's tight mm-hmm. as you inhale, but as you exhale, you are lessening the tension in your muscle. So you literally go from like, I mean, we would do hair, scalp, forehead, eyebrows. Sure, um, as, as know, detailed as you need it, right? Yeah. So it's been really, really helpful. And then another pain release thing that my parents, both hypnotherapists taught me when I was very little is envisioning um, like a shape of my choice in the middle of my forehead and my third eye, my mind center. And I would usually choose a heart or a star. And then they would say, okay, what color do you want it to be? Oftentimes it'd be sparkly rainbow, but on certain days it might be pink or blue, whatever. And then as your pain, usually, you know, you have some kind of pulse with that pain or it's like really extreme, right? So then the heart would be really, really big and really, really bright. And then, um, you know, you intentionally like force that heart to get smaller or less bright or, you know, change colors like sure. it goes from a hot color, you know, changes into a cool color. So that was a huge pain relief um, tactic that we used when I was little and I use on my kids too. So thank I you, Taryn. You can try those and get some relief. Thank you for your call. We really appreciate it here. Um, so yeah, Dr. Galtney, it sounds like some aspects of distraction in there as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, and and Taryn, like you're describing so many important pieces to the whole pain puzzle, which is our attention is important, what we focus our attention on, and also learning to relax your body. Um, What you're talking about is like um, learning that you have some control over, you know, what information your brain is receiving from your body. You know, we can either be super tense with our muscles and that communicates something to our brains about what's going on, or we can learn to really relax our muscles and that communicates something. So 100 stars to you, and thank you so much (laughs) for sharing with everyone. So, Dr. Gottlieb, we just have about two or three minutes here. any any other uh, thoughts you want to get across, or maybe even particularly, you know, talking to parents, uh, parent interventions, um, you know, because I imagine they're the ones that are getting stressed out as just as much as the kids are with all of this. Yes, and thank you so much for asking that question before we conclude, because that is absolutely kind of who I would love to speak with the most, um, because caregivers of all varieties, grandparents, parents. Um, siblings, you know, 
we all really care that people will be able to live, you know, full, happy lives, pain-free lives. Um, and I shouldn't say pain-free because we're all going to experience pain at points in our lives, but we don't want people to have chronic pain. Um, and one thing I will say is that hearing your loved ones that they have pain is extremely important. Um, validating that their pain is real no matter what anybody else is saying, their pain is real. Um, and also really encouraging your loved ones to be engaging in activities that are important to them because, you know, while we can't have, you know, make pain go away immediately, we do know that function comes first in kids. And so if they're staying home from school, finding a way for them to be a little engaged with their peers, maybe go in for one day a week, or not one day a week, one class a day, little baby steps is is how kids start to get back into life because what it's doing is teaching the nervous system that these things are safe. Um, so, you know, and that's a really difficult skill. And so taking, you know, taking care of yourself as you're watching your loved one going through this um, is really important, but, but that it is, you know, doable, that we don't, we don't say, oh, you have a child with pain, that they'll be an adult forever with pain. That's, um, that there is um, intervention that can really support kids getting back into lives and, and reducing pain. Well, absolutely. We just have about 30 seconds left. How, how would uh, patients get a hold of you or, or your office if they want to see you? Yeah, please check out our website. It's Neuroversion, and that is not Neurovision. It's Neuroversion, so N-E-U-R-O-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. And you can call. You can have um, referral from your PCP. We um, would really be able to reach out to you and, and see what might be most helpful, an interdisciplinary appointment or just, you know, if you already have a PCP, we can talk about, you know, you know, interdisciplinary with, with them. Well, special thanks to our guest for being with us today, pediatric pain psychologist, Dr. Wendy Galtney. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adeline Baxter. You can find more information on this and previous programs on our website at alaskapublic.org. Let us know your thoughts or suggestions by emailing us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. This has been Line One, your health connection. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Clark. Stay safe, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the hosts and participants, and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.